We are on the second week of our study called One Another. One Another. The New Testament is filled with the phrase, one another. Over a hundred times it says that, and and about half of those times, he's talking to the church, telling the church, hey, you should do this for one another. He really tells us what we should be. Last week we looked at John 15 and how we are called to love one another. This week we're going to look at something very related, something very similar, but it's in Galatians 5, how we should be serving one another. Serving one another. You know, if you've heard me speak before, you know I'm a movie buff. One of my all-time favorite movies, and I hope this doesn't get me in trouble, is The Shawshank Redemption. It's a movie, yeah, some of you are like, oh boy, oh boy. The Shawshank Redemption is, uh, is about a man who is wrongly accused of murdering his wife. And the, the film shows his life in prison as he makes friends and as he ultimately seeks to escape and clear his name. Now I'm just going to go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. I'm about to spoil this thing, but it's been out for so long. If you haven't seen it now, you probably won't see it, uh, so it won't, it'll be okay. The final scene of the movie, the escapes prison. He goes through so much to get out. He escapes. He flees to Mexico to live a simple, good life. Finally, his, one of his best friends in prison is paroled, and then he goes and meets him down there. And then the final scene, you basically just see this simple life that he's living, full of happiness, full of peace, as he's just down there on the beach building a boat. The movie is really all about a captive finding freedom. And I think that's the thing that's the most appealing about it. But you know, if we're Christians in the room this morning, that should also strike a, a, a tone with us on a spiritual level. Because that also tells our story that we were in bondage to sin. In fact, we were such we were in, in so uh, shackled tight by it, we didn't even see how much in bondage we were. We didn't think we were really slaves to it at all. Oh, well, I can stop whenever I want to. Oh, I can clean up my life whenever I get ready to. But we were in bondage and we were set free. Those of us who are in Christ. We've been set free from our bondage. So this really resonates with us. Someone finding freedom. Christ has made us free. In the book of Galatians... Paul is writing to a church to tell them that they are free in Christ. That they don't have to earn their way in. That they don't have to to somehow check all the boxes the right way to get God to accept them. But he tells them that they are free because Christ has made them free. And for us as as a church, the question is, If we're in Christ, we've been freed. The question is, what are we going to do with that freedom? Or, to put it a different way, we're free, now what? Because unlike movies, we don't ride off into the sunset 
unlike movies, Monday morning is going to get here tomorrow and we're going to have to make decisions on how we will use our freedom in Christ. The main thing that we're going to see in this passage is we should use our freedom in Christ to serve each other. To serve each other. Let's jump in and read Galatians chapter 5 starting in verse 13. And if you would, and if you're able, please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Hear what God says. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Father, as we approach Your Word, the words of the song we just sang echoes in our minds. Holy Spirit, rain down. Because Lord, we can't rightly look at Your Word without Your help. Because Lord, when we look at passages like this in Your Word, our minds immediately think about how somebody else needs to be obeying this. But Holy Spirit, when You come, You actually pointed it at me. You pointed at each one of us and say, no, it's not for somebody else to obey. It's for me to obey. Help us, Lord, as we open Your Word. And Lord, I pray for more than just understanding what it says, but I pray that this morning we will be changed. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, he is talking about our freedom in Christ and what we are to do with it. And he tells us three things, really. that We should use our freedom in Christ not as an opportunity for the flesh. We should use our freedom in Christ to serve one another. And then finally, we should use our freedom in Christ not to tear each other down. Look at the first thing he says in, in the very first part of 13, that we should use our freedom in Christ not as an opportunity for the flesh. He tells us, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. If you're in Christ this morning, I want you to hear those words. You were called to freedom. But, he says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And when he says freedom in Christ, what does that mean? What does that mean that we have freedom? I mean, I think we have some vague idea, but... What Paul is talking about here is that we've been freed from the law. This is what Paul, how Paul explains it in chapter 3 of Galatians. He tells them, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. So he's telling them, if we're, if we're working to be good enough, if we're trying to, to check the right boxes and earn God's favor, he's saying, we're going to be under a curse. He continues there in Galatians 3, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for it says the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. So he's basically telling us, when it comes to us earning our way in, us being good enough to make it in, we're not going to make it. 
we don't measure up. And no matter how hard we try, we will never measure up to the good standard of God's law. We fall short. And we are in bondage because of that. We are under a curse. And it's human nature for us to try harder and to try harder. But all we find is more and more bondage as we fail to obey what God says. But notice verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. If you had one verse to memorize, memorize this one. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. God's law says if there is a man who is hung up on a tree to die the death penalty, that you can know for sure that man is cursed by God. It's funny that as Moses wrote those laws down, he probably had no idea that that was actually applying to God's own Son. We are in bondage to our sin. We're in bondage to our failure to uphold the law. And as we are trying harder, and as we're trying to work our way in, Jesus is saying, I've already done it. He became a curse for us so that we will never know God's curse. And church, He has set us free. That is what Paul means when he says freedom in Christ. We are set free by Christ. It's not about us keeping the rules. It's not about us earning our way in, but now it is about following Him and clinging to Him. He has done all the work. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want you to hear this. You don't measure up. You never will. And I don't care how hard you try. All the other religions in the world say, you work harder, you try harder, you feel your way toward God, you don't measure up to God. But what we just see in that passage, what we just looked at, is the fact that Christ will save us because He took the penalty that we deserve. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, we need to remember that, that our religion that we follow, our faith that we hold, is not about us keeping a list of rules so that we might somehow please God and He'll let us in. We don't become legalists. But rather, our faith is about clinging to Christ, the One who has already done the work on our behalf. And so notice what Paul says. I can just almost hear the, the church he's writing to saying, well, does that mean that I can do whatever I want? Right? If it's not about keeping the rules, doesn't that mean I can do whatever I want? He has set me free. He's paid the penalty that my sins deserve. So now I can do what I want. And then notice what he says. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. When we look back at the very first verse of, of chapter 5, five one, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's saying Christ has already freed us. So why on earth would we then turn back to what had us in bondage? I want you to picture for a moment 
back before the Civil War, when, when slavery was in full swing, there were many organizations working to, to free slaves. And imagine that a, a slave family was smuggled out, smuggled into the north, and set free. Now imagine that man then turning around, going back down to the south to his master, only to be held in bondage once again. You know what we would say to that? We would say that is the epitome of foolishness. Why on earth would somebody who has been set free then turn themselves back over to their master to be put in chains once again? Hear the words of Paul. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. In the verses we're looking at, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity to live your life however you want. Rather, use your freedom for what it is intended for. To live for the One who sets you free. To live for the One who has set you free. Christ has set us free, church. He is the One who has set us free. So why do we run back to our old Master? Why do we use our freedom to put ourselves back into chains? Why do we use our freedom as a license to sin? I mean, haven't we all said that before? Haven't we all said, I'll sin, maybe not with our mouth, we'll put it in the back burner of our mind, but it's in there. I'll sin because I know that God will forgive me. And we presume on His grace. How do you use your freedom? Is it to serve Him? To live for Him? Or is it for you to do whatever you want to do? To sin? To live for the flesh? We should use our freedom in Christ not as an opportunity for the flesh, but notice the second thing that he says. To serve one another. Look at what he says at the end of verse 13. He says, but... Through love, serve one another. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity to sin, as a license to sin, but here's what I want you to do with your freedom. I want you to serve each other. To serve each other. That word that he uses there for serve actually means uh, to act or to conduct yourself uh, as one who is in total service to another person. To uh, perform the duties of a slave. And we have a good example of this, don't we? We see Jesus in John 13, who is God in the flesh, getting down on His hands and knees and washing His disciples' feet just like a slave would do. Church, if ever we looked at our Master, that's what we see Him doing. Serving. Serving people as if He's a slave to them. Serving people as if He didn't deserve anything but to serve. Paul says that's what we're supposed to use our freedom for. To serve each other. But how does that relate to being free? How does that relate to uh, being free in Christ and using our freedom to, to serve one another? Well, Paul writes to a whole different church. He writes to the church in Corinth. 
And this is what he tells them in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He's, he basically lays out for them that they are free now to eat whatever they want to eat. Praise God, we can eat bacon. Right? We're not under the law anymore. We can eat bacon. We can eat pork chops. We can eat these unclean foods that are not kosher. He writes to the church to tell them, you're free to eat any of that stuff that you want to. To drink any of the stuff that you want to. But, he says, if you're going to eat something that's going to cause another brother to stumble, you shouldn't eat it. In other words, He is putting our service to each other, our love for one another, above our freedom. As if to say that we are to use our freedom to love one another, and that means that if my freedom is going to call someone to sin, I'd rather not do it. All things are lawful, He says, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things edify or build up. Will we use our freedom to serve each other? Or will we use our freedom to cause each other to stumble? Notice what he says next there. He says that we're to serve one another, I love it, through love. Through love. He describes love here as the means by which we serve each other. We're to serve one another through love. But why is he tying love so closely there with service? It's because we can't do that kind of service to one another. We can't serve each other as Christ served us if there's no love mixed in with it. Because if we do it out of duty, if we do it because we know that's what we're supposed to do and we're just going to grit our teeth and do it, church, we're not really serving. We're not really serving. So that brings us to a couple of questions we've got to ask ourselves. Am I serving other people? How am I serving other people in the body? Is my service to other people in the body done through love? Or do I just do it because... I don't want to get in trouble. I know that's what I'm supposed to do. Is love at the very heart of our service. He gives us a, a very good reason to do these things. Look at what he says in the next verse. Verse 14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. We like to say the whole law is fulfilled in ten words, right? The ten commandments. Paul who's agreeing with Jesus here, says, no, actually, it's just one. One commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. One command. That is the essence of the teaching of God's law. Now, if you're like me, I look at that and I'm like, Paul, wait a second. You are not making any sense. You just told me I'm free from the law. And now you're telling me i got to do this because the law says it? What? What is the deal, man? You freed me from the law just to put me back under it? Why would he say that? Even though we're free from the law as Christians, we are not in bondage to it, but we have a moral obligation to keep the essence of it. 
to keep the essence of it. We're not sitting here checking the boxes. We're not sitting here loving each other to earn our way into God's favor. We're not saved because we love one another. But because we are saved, we love one another. Because we have been shown mercy and forgiveness, we forgive one another. Because God has just shown us, poured out His lavish love on us, we pour out our lavish love on one another. So as we look at the command that He gives to serve one another, when people look at our church from the outside, do they see a community of believers who are constantly focused on serving? Not people selfishly thinking about themselves only. Not people thinking about their own interests. Not people looking out for number one, but people who put themselves aside. Who put their own interest aside so that they can serve. Our service to each other doesn't stop when we leave this place. It's not just about, I'm going to serve others on Sunday morning, but it's about, I'm going to serve people throughout the week. I'm going to look for an opportunity for somebody in this body of believers this week to serve. Whether that's somebody who is older and you're serving them by doing something for them that they maybe can't do for themselves. Maybe it's for somebody younger. If you're older, you may reach out to somebody and say, hey, you need somebody to babysit for you for an hour? Whatever it is, are we serving one another throughout the week? And the reason this is all important is because the greatest way And I want you all to hear this. The greatest way that our lost world will look in on us and see Jesus is not through a good worship service. It's not through us telling them, preaching to them about what the Gospel is. Although that is very important and we must do that. Church, they're going to see the Gospel most clearly when they see a group of people who say, God has loved me so much that I just can't help but let that love pour out to and serve my fellow brothers and sisters. Church, that's how they're going to see how we love each other. It's not just by us saying that we love each other, it's by us doing, acting out our love for one another. And I want to submit to you this morning that if you are not serving others in the church, if, if church for you is just showing up on Sunday morning and getting out what you can get out of it, if you have the mentality of the church is here to serve me, and not I'm here to serve the church, you are disobeying your Master. You're disobeying the One who had every right to be served, but instead chose to serve. He tells us that we're to use our freedom to serve one another. The other side of that is we are not to use our freedom to tear each other down. Third point. Final verse there. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. What does it look like to tear one another down? Look at the words that Paul uses here. He uses the word bite. That word brings with it the image of a snake biting somebody. Every time just about it's used about an animal, it's mostly used to describe a snake biting somebody. And you think about a snake just attaching, injecting venom. He uses another uh, illustration of devouring. 
The idea of a hungry, wild animal tearing something to pieces in the woods and eating it. Well, what does that look like in the church? What is Paul describing in the church? I think he's describing snide comments that we make. You know what I'm talking about, right? The, the under-the-table jabs that we take. We wouldn't do it out in the open. We're going to do it under the table, right? We're not just going to come out and say something negative. We're going to instead make a passive-aggressive comment. Another thing I think he's talking about is open negativity. Some of, some of us are more bold and we're more open and we will openly tell people and be negative to people when we think that they don't line up with what we want them to do. Open negativity. Not just under the table, but actually tearing another person down. A third thing I think this looks like in the church is gossiping. We may not make an under-the-table remark. We may not come out and directly say the negative thing, but we will gladly turn and tell somebody else the negative thing about somebody else. That is biting. That is devouring. Finally, I think it looks like us being bitter, holding grudges. We may not, especially us guys, we may not do any of that other stuff, okay? But if somebody wrongs us, I guarantee you that we are going to hold a grudge about it. We will never forget what such and such did to me. All of these things are us biting and devouring one another. I know none of this stuff goes on at Mount Carmel, okay? Surely. Biting and devouring. Look at what he says is the result. He says, if you're biting and devouring one another, take heed, watch out, that you're not consumed. The word for consumed, of course, being totally destroyed. During the Cold War, of course, that was before I was born. During the Cold War, there was a, a, an idea that kept the world together. The idea of mutually assured destruction. The idea that the Soviet Union could pull the trigger and launch nukes at the U.S., but they knew that for them to pull the trigger was to sign their own death warrant. Because then the U.S. would launch nuclears, nuclear weapons back at them, and both would be utterly annihilated. It kept us safe during the Cold War because both the U.S. and the Soviet Union knew that to shoot the other would be to shoot yourself. I want you to see up close what Paul's saying here. He's saying when we choose to bite and to devour one another, when we choose the snide comments, when we choose the open negativity, when we choose the gossip or the grudges, we're not just hurting the other person. We are signing our own death warrant as it were. We say these things and we're thinking, I'm going to get that person. But what we don't realize is our words are actually getting us. 
we are assuring our own harm when we tear down and attack other people. We're really tearing down ourselves. When you think that your words or your attitude is hurting someone else, you need to realize that you're really just destroying yourself. When there's quarrels and when there's fights among the people of God, it's not the other person that loses. It is the whole church. You can have the best worship service. You could have the best facilities. You could have the best preaching. But none of that matters if we're biting and devouring each other. Because there's nothing that our buildings, that our pastor, that our worship leader can do to stop the harm from two people going at each other. Books are not written about, well they are, but not as many, written about how pastors destroy churches as much as how the people in the church destroy the church. We really hurt each other with our negativity, with our tearing down. We all suffer. We should use our freedom in Christ not as an opportunity for the flesh. Freedom does not mean a license to sin. We should not use our freedom, or we should use our freedom as an opportunity to serve one another. Use your freedom to serve through love. Finally, you should never use your freedom to tear down another brother or sister the attacks that you have only lead to the mutual destruction of the church. We should use our freedom to serve one another. To serve. As we think about how to respond to this, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, for you responding to this is for you simply to say, I realize that I am sinful before God and none of my rule keeping will measure up. And today, for the first time, perhaps, you say, I'm going to cling to Jesus with all that I have. I'm going to depend on Him completely to save me. And wherever you are in your journey, wherever you've been in your journey, you can know that He will have you. You have not out His ability to forgive. But if you're a Christian here this morning, for you, responding would be, I think, first of all, repenting. Myself included. Repenting of not serving the way that we should. Repenting of the negative thoughts and words that we have towards each other. Turning from those things. Turning from the sin that we just say, well, I'm free, so now I can sin. And not just repenting, but asking for God's help. Church, the only way that we will get this is with God's help. We're not strong enough. I think another way that some of us can respond is by seeking out someone that you're at odds with. 
seeking out somebody who you know who it is. I don't have to sit up here and, I mean, I probably don't know who it is, but you know who it is. For some of you, that may mean going to that person and saying, look, that message this morning, that, that, that Scripture really just pierced my heart. And I want to tell you that I was harboring bitterness towards you and now I'm going to let it go. Finally, I think it looks like us finding just one way to serve somebody else in this body this week. Baby steps. Baby steps. We're not going to get there overnight. God's grace doesn't work that way. But as we turn to Him and we repent and we ask for His help, as we mend the broken relationships that we have caused, and as we find ways to serve one another throughout this week, just one way, just one person, then then we will know what it's like to obey this passage and to serve one another through love. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. God, as we look at Your Word and we look at our lives, we see that it does not measure up. We confess, Lord, that we don't Serve one another through love the way that we should. In fact, Lord, a lot of times we just think that showing up in this place is really all that we've got to do. Lord, help us to see that those of us who are Christians who are in the community of faith, that we are called to reflect the love that You have for us. And God, I pray that this morning, that we would see fruits from Your Word, that people who are at odds would either say, in this place here this morning, that I'm going to reconcile. That other person may not even know that we have something against them, Lord, but I pray that we would take seriously forgiveness. Father, I pray that You would help us show each and every one of us one way that we can serve this week. That we would take time out of our busyness, out of our schedules, to reach out to another brother or sister in the body and to serve. Lord, You are glorious and powerful. And we know that if we were left to our own devices, nothing would ever change. But Lord, we know that through Your power that You will transform us. And so Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, would You rain down on us? In Jesus' name, Amen.